I am honored, humbled to speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. St. Paul goes on to say in the very next sentence, but we have this treasure in clay jars, so it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. I speak to you, my friends in Christ, soon to be deacons, and all those gathered to celebrate this day as one clay pot to another. In, uh, in another very interpretive translation of this text, Eugene Peterson describes us this way. We are messengers. We are errand runners for Jesus. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. He goes on, if you only look at us, you might miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around, hear this, in the unadorned pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. It's amazing, isn't it? Audacious, really, to trust that the unadorned pots of our daily lives can carry the message of God's light and love to the world. Not that there's anything wrong with being an unadorned clay pot. The Irish writer John O'Donohue describes us with a bit more poetry, as the Irish tend to do, with a reminder of our relative place in the universe. He says this, Humans are new here. Above us, the galaxies dance out toward infinity. Under our feet is ancient earth. We are beautifully molded from this clay. Human presence is a creative and turbulent sacrament, a visible sign of invisible grace. The human journey is a continuous act of transfiguration. Well, we gather today for the ordination of these 12 marvelously unadorned clay pots. In doing so, we testify that their lives are inspiring examples to us of the creative, turbulent journey of human transfiguration. We see in each one of you, even when you struggle to see it in yourselves, the light of God shining in your hearts. It's the same light, the same light that shined fully and completely in Jesus 
on the mountain of his transfiguration. You remember the story. He climbs a mountain with three of his disciples. There he was filled with a light that shone so brightly, it seemed to those who witnessed it, it seemed to change his appearance. I don't think it did change him. In my imagination, the light illuminating him came not from the outside, transforming Jesus into something he wasn't, but from within, a reflection of his inner being. And that light, that same light, shines in your hearts, in all of our hearts. It seems to change you, change all of us, and in some ways it does, I suppose. We feel it in us, we feel it passing through us, and the experience changes us. Yet, what is illumined in us, and in particularly to the twelve to be ordained, what is illumined is your true self, the person you were uniquely created by God to be and equipped now to be a vessel of God's love through the extraordinary ordinariness of your lives. As uh, Robert Phillips said to you yesterday, you in your you-ness are called by God to this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes, for taking the first step, and then the second, and then the third, and all the steps that followed, and thank you for all the steps that are to come. Thank you for courage, for your tenacity, your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience, your generosity of spirit, your forgiveness for those of us building this formation process as you were going through it. And on behalf of the soon-to-be deacons and all who will benefit from their leadership, I offer our profound thanks to the congregation gathered and beyond, to families and friends, peers, teachers, faith communities. Thank you on behalf of the diocese you have brought together today. The dream of a deacon in every church seemed impossible to imagine just a few years ago. But it's a lot easier to imagine now because of you, 12, joining the five ordained last year with the ones following you and the deacons who, by the grace of God, have joined us. It could happen, could happen in large measure because of you. It takes someone to go first, you know, and you did. And I wonder if all of you might join me in giving particular thanks to a few people. I'm going to name them all. Archdeacon, Archdeacon Sue von Rottenkrantz, Canon Paula Clark, the Reverend Robert Phillips, the faculty of the Deacon School, and the Commission on Ministry for shepherding the Deacon's formation process. Would you please? Now, one of the privileges of my life is to receive, get this, four letters a year from everyone in the ordination process. And let me tell you, these aren't postcards. These are epistles offering me a glimpse into the creative, turbulent sacrament of this sacred and very human journey of transfiguration. And these letters describe over time the growing confidence 
of call, what it feels like on the inside to hear and respond to a call from God, from your life, sometimes your rector, who literally called on the telephone to say, I see a deacon in you. And your acceptance, embrace, growing confidence in call gives you, among other things, it gives you a finely tuned intuition, honed by experience, to help the rest of us discern our call, the unique ways that God's light shines in and through us, illuminating our essence, inviting us in ways large and small to make our offering to the world. Call begins, paraphrasing Longfellow, not with the vows that we make, but the vows that have been made for us, a bond unknown that was given to us, that we should be, he said, else sinning greatly, dedicated spirits, dedicated spirits. Your confidence in call helps us all reject one of the most powerful, demeaning, and at times strangely appealing lies of this fallen world. That it's possible, desirable, and for far too many inevitable to live, in Walter Brueggemann's words, an uncalled life. One not referred to any purpose beyond oneself, or beyond the forces of oppression and distraction that conspire to keep us small and in our place. In contrast, a called life is a life in process, a life at risk, always on the edge of the frontiers of our courage and our sight. And it's, while risky, it's also a a safe life in relationship to the one who calls, not out of anger or disappointment or judgment, but in love. Now let me be clear. Every Christian, every Christian through our baptism has been ordained into the order of clay pots. We're all called to this, this call to live the extraordinary ordinariness through which the light of Christ shines through us. But you, beloved 12 now, are called to a particularly delightful, peculiar subset of clay pots known as deacons. You have the wondrous and specific responsibility now to encourage the rest of us to listen for and take seriously our own callings, whatever they may be. And in particular, you are to help us go beyond the borders of our comfort and security, wherever they lie, to serve Christ in our neighbors. Your mandate is to help the church discern God's light shining God's light shining in Howard Thurman's haunting phrase, in those who stand at our moment in history with their backs against the wall. 
This is, as Thurman's life was a powerful testimony at the, la at the beginning of the last century and now in ours. This is a matter of real urgency for us as Christians. What does the mission and the teachings of Jesus have to offer to those who live every day, every day, with their backs against the wall? And this isn't a call to charity offered in the safety of our benevolence. This is a call to solidarity and repentance and renewal. And as deacons, along with your role in worship and the life of Christian community and those infamous other duties as assigned, we discussed yesterday, you're the bridge. You're the bridge between the church, however we define it, and what lies beyond, exhorting us all to love as we have been loved and to serve as Jesus served. That's it. So in closing, I'd like to give you two words, two words, one of gentle encouragement and one of extravagant encouragement. Gentle exhortation, the other of extravagant encouragement. Okay? The first, the exhortation, is to take up for yourself, if you haven't already, specifically the rule of life that the presiding bishop Michael Curry has set before the Episcopal Church, the way of love. It's not a new rule. It's a restatement of an ancient one, a gathering up of essential practices for a Jesus-focused life. Since July, I have done so, and while it's far too early to, to point to any real fruits of this practice, let me tell you that my inner experience has been quietly transformative. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the way of love, you can find ample materials on the Dawson website or that of the Episcopal Church, but deacons, I'm saying to you, take them, live them for yourself. Don't speak to others about them until they are the bedrock of your own experience. And as the more of us live with greater intention in this way of love, the world will change. So that's the exhortation. Now here's the extravagant encouragement. Years ago, I heard, a, I heard an interview with a woman named Carol Pearson, who was an author at the time, of books on heroism, and she really caught my attention. This was very early in my ordained life when I was trying to figure out how to wear all this stuff and to be a deacon and then a priest in the church. And the interviewer asked Pearson which of all the heroes she had studied, and she was a student of heroism, which hero did she like the best? And her rather surprising answer was Sissy Hankshaw, a contemporary protagonist in a novel that Tom Robbins wrote a long time ago called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Now, Sissy was a remarkable young woman who was born with oversized thumbs. And as a child, she was subject to all the awkwardness and prejudice that a physical deformity entails. And when she was a teenager, her parents arranged for her to have plastic surgery on her thumbs. And she looked forward to that. But one day in her adolescence, she looked into the mirror and realized that she was quite lovely. And she knew that if she had the surgery, she could have the normal life that everyone wanted her to have. And that she, in herself, that she wanted too. But in that moment, her thumbs started twitching 
as if to invite her to live life on a deeper level if she dared. So, instead of cutting off her thumbs, Sissy went on to become the greatest hitchhiker that ever lived. <laughs> And in one scene, Sissy's psychologist describes to a colleague Sissy's uncanny ability to hail cars from the other side of a four-lane highway. And the other psychologist comments on Sissy's obvious success in transcending her affliction. And Sissy's psychologist replies, oh no, she hasn't transcended her affliction. That would suggest that there was something wrong with her that needed to be transcended. She transformed her life by affirming her thumbs. Living by God's light shining in you is something like Sissy's affirmation of her thumbs. It's the freedom that comes when you honor who you are to see in you your body, your mind, your circumstance, even your weaknesses, the stuff out of which meaning and fulfillment emerge, the one's call to shine with the light and glory of God. You, you are called to this, thumbs and all. And all we pray today is that you continue to embrace this call, enjoy it, enjoy your lives. We are all blessed. The world is blessed because you have said yes. Thank you. In the name of God. Amen.